You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. As, a, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, then employees and employers, as we worked our way through chapter 3, um, and, and the reality is, it's hard. It's difficult to live for Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going through these verses, and, 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 and all kinds of things are popping up that, that I need to grow in. Looked at chapter 3, uh, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children and I gave you a list of 11 things that, that parents tend to do that, that provoke their children. And this is one of the just joys and delights of having your kids in with you while you're preaching about parenting. Um, my daughter took it on herself to circle all of the ones that I needed to work on. Thank you, sweetie. The good news is there were three that didn't get circled. So that's a start, right? Like that's a, some work to do. Um, this section began, Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I get spiritually out of breath just thinking about that. How, how can I live that kind of life? How can I take every minute of every day, every task, important or menial, and, and make it something passionately done for Jesus, his name? I just don't know that I have it in me. And the truth is, I don't. And neither do you. That's why Paul moves from this section of go and do to pray. Pray. How do we live out that Christ-centered marriages and families and, and workplaces? Where do we get the energy, the power, the life to do it? Prayer. The way the athlete relies on breathing. That's, that's why this verse is where it is. Look, with it, look at it with me. Uh, Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We're just going to stop right there. One verse gives us plenty. Um, would you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Father, even now, especially now, I do not have in me what you have called me to do. We do not have in us what you have called us to do. And so we come in prayer. Lord, would you breathe life into this place this morning? Would you strengthen? Would you awaken hearts? Would you convict where we need to be convicted? Lord, you know uh, how hard we want to work at, at do, 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 and trying to be uh, all of these things on our own strength. God, would you graciously crush that in us this morning? Would you make us men and women of prayer? Lord, I pray for my words as I speak that they would be your words and that 
that you would take your word and, and press it down into our hearts and do your uh, transforming work in us by your spirit this morning uh, for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. So three things Paul tells us, not hard to find the outline in this sermon. Um, be persistent in prayer, be watchful in prayer, and thankful in prayer. So let's just take a moment and look at, at each of these. First, Paul says, be persistent in prayer. Continue steadfastly, he says. That's point one, be persistent in prayer. Uh, prayer is not optional for Christians. It's, it's, not a, it's not an extra. It's not kind of tier two Christianity. We have to see this, though, as so much more than just a command. This isn't just a duty that he's laid upon us. Go and, and pray, continue in prayer, do this job. The, the call to prayer is not because God needs to receive something from us. Like We don't, we don't give him anything that he needs when we come to pray. The, the call to pray is because we need to receive from him. He's reminding us of our need to breathe. He's, he's calling us back. Come to, the, come to the fountain of life. Don't leave it. He's saying, run this race well. Live your life for Christ. And, and don't try to do it on your own spiritual breath. Do it continuing in prayer. And that's true. First, because to be a Christian at all, fundamentally must begin with prayer. Right? Like, there is no Christian life without prayer. Since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, every human is born dead in sin. We are separated from God, going our own way, doing our own thing, dead to who he is. We've thrown him off. We deserve death and hell because of it. And how God, by his grace, how the death of Jesus on the cross paid the penalty that we deserve for our sin to give us new life in Christ, spiritual life, eternal life. And, and where does that life necessarily begin? It begins with prayer. It begins with repentance and faith. Renouncing our, our sinful rebellion against him and, and submitting ourselves in faith to him. And so... It begins in prayer, like the infant's first gasp of air. And then it continues in prayer. And we, we continue in a, a life of repentance and submission and dependence on Him. When we're prayerless, that, that is our declaration of independence against God. Don't do it. Don't let that be our, how we live. Having come to him for new life, we need to continue in him with that new life. And so John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, he it is that, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is one of those crucial arteries by which we abide in Christ. Draw our life from him. So continue in prayer. Don't stop. Don't let it go. Don't let it slide. Uh, Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit. Romans 12.12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be consistent in prayer. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Now, we were talking about this at our, our men's meeting on Saturday and, and kind of wrestling through this a little bit. And uh, it was a helpful conversation, just trying to talk about what does this mean? What does that look like? Pray without ceasing. Because we all read that and get the sense of like, okay, there's a problem here. Because I also need to eat. I also need to go to work. And, and I need to be focused on some things. Um, there are other things I need to do, and so this cannot mean I need to be on my knees in focused prayer all day long. It's only going to last till I, till I got to go up and get a drink of water. Um, I'm going to be distracted. I'm going to have to pull out of focused prayer. And so one of the, the tensions we have is we have, to, we have to figure out what does this mean, and, and one of the things that we, that we tend to do uh, is to just lower the bar on what we mean by prayer. Well, don't, don't like pray, pray all the time. Just kind of have a, an attitude of prayer, a, a general consciousness of the presence of the Lord and, 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 and kind of living in that prayerful way. Not, not on your knees focused prayer, just kind of prayerfulness, kind of vague. And, and that's not a bad thing, not at all. But, but I think these verses call us to something different, call us to something more than that. First, I fear this concept kind of lets us off the hook too easily, right? Our hurried, overloaded, kind of multitask culture, we hear that and go, cool. Um, I, I, I don't need to do the like on my knees in the closet prayer because that's hard anyway. I'll just kind of do this general prayerfulness thing um, and, uh, and we're good. I, I don't need to do that anymore. And we stop. We stop giving ourselves to, to meaningful, prolonged prayer. That's not okay. Secondly, I think, more importantly, um, I just don't think that's necessarily what Scripture calls us to. Ephesians 6, 8, I think, is the clearest. Pray at all times. Does he mean every minute? Well, no, the, the, the word there, uh, to be a little bit technical, is kairo, kairos. Uh, it means opportunity, season. And so, uh, similar to, to 1 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word in every season. Not every minute of every day. My kids maybe say I do that. Um, but, but just every time, it, whether it's favorable or unfavorable, or whether it's suffering or joy, pray. Pray in all opportunities, good times, bad times. Pray continually. And so, I think it also flows the other way, Right? Going about your day, thinking about prayer, having kind of brief momentary prayers, constant kind of prayerfulness, I don't think that will feed into and build a, a life of significant, dedicated, focused prayer. On the other hand, I think regular times of, of dedicated, focused prayer, no matter the season, no matter what's going on, consistently giving yourself to Prayer is going to produce that kind of everyday, all-day consciousness of, of who God is and, and, and momentary prayers. So if we're going to continue um, in, in, in meaningful, focused prayer, if that's what we're to do, we're to be spending time um, with the Lord in prayer, and, and, and that's to be the, the spiritual breath for our lungs, why don't we do it? If that's the source from which we draw our life, why is it that it's so easily and so often overlooked, neglected, put off for 
the next day, another day? Why is it that almost every believer says, my prayer life needs to grow. It's not where it should be. Why is it in my own life? This is a battle. This is a struggle. This is a, a fight to be fought. Shouldn't this be? I mean, just a joyful thing. Shouldn't this be just a, a blessing that we, that we have to, to come to the Lord in, in prayer and just bask in that every chance we get? Well, yeah, it should. That's what it should be. But that's not the reality. Notice Paul doesn't just say continue in prayer. He says continue steadfastly. Why does he say that? Why does he think that word is necessary there? Now, to be fair, there's only one word in the Greek. Some translations handle this a little better than others. Um, but it's one word that has definitely two meanings. Both of these things, continue and steadfastly. It means keep going, don't stop, but it also carries the idea of, of pressing against resistance. Be strong in continuing. Continue with, with endurance, with determination, with perseverance. Continue when it's hard. Paul knows this is not simple. This is not an easy thing that he's calling us to do. It's hard. When we speak about sin in our lives and, and growth in, in holiness, um, there, there are just kind of three categories of, of forces that work against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's no different with prayer. That, that's the, 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 the hurdles laid out for us. There's the world. And it's pull against us. This worldly system which would, which would tempt us and, and distract us, which constantly communicates to us, there's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a better way, a more efficient way. Um, that, that we should just get to work. Be productive. Go do something. Be self-realizing. And then we add to that the flesh. The flesh kind of hits us on, on two levels here. The first is that, is that our flesh is just weak. Right? I mean, these bodies, these fleshly bodies have their limitations and their weaknesses. And so the mind wanders, the attention span is short. Uh, it's hard to sit still and do anything for any long duration of time. And I wonder what's for breakfast. Um, the flesh is weak. But also under that heading of the flesh um, is our lingering sinfulness. Right? Taking advantage of the, the pressure of the world and the weakness of my flesh is the, is the sin of my flesh, the pride in me, the desire for, for me to be in charge, to not want to submit to the Lord, but to do my own thing, to go my own way. And as if the world and the flesh were not enough, fighting against us in this struggle for prayer is the devil himself. Now, let's just be precise um, when you get up in the morning, Satan is not blocking you personally from your prayer list. I hate to break it to you. You're just not that important. Um, neither am I. Um, but make no mistake. He and his legion of demons are absolutely scheming and working uh, to keep Christians from pray praying. Right? I mean, if you were in a fight, as he is, or a race, would you not take the opportunity to, to cut off your opponent's airflow? I mean, if you can do that, you don't really have to do anything else. You've won. He doesn't have to worry about anything else but, to, but just keep you prayerless and docile and tired and struggling. 
prayerless Christian is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil all stacked up against us. It's no wonder Paul says continue steadfastly in prayer. He's calling for total dedication. Get after it. This is not a a casual passing thought, right? It's not enough. Ah, yeah, I should pray more, I suppose. It's not going to cut it. It won't work. That kind of an attitude, that, maybe I should pray more, that's going to fail every time. I mean, that's okay. If your goal is like to walk around the block once a week, that might, that might be enough. Yeah, I should do that. Okay, well, let's, let's go for a walk around the block. But, but that casual attitude doesn't climb mountains, right? You don't get from A to B with that. Because hard things, challenging things, Take planning and training and growth and and determination and grit and and sacrifice and perseverance. That's what Paul's calling for here. That's the kind of motivation he's looking for. Continue in it with endurance, with steadfastness. Work hard at this. Real prayer takes effort. It's not easy. I think that's the number one reason that we fail to pray is that we sit down thinking, this is going to be great. I'm just going to spend half an hour, an hour in prayer. and It's just going to go so smooth and it's going to be blissful. And, and you spend what feels like two hours and you look at the clock and it's been three minutes. And you're like, how do I? But I can't. I'm hungry. Or I, yeah, you didn't expect that. It's going to be hard. It takes training. It takes discipline. The Puritans used to use this great little phrase, um, Simple as it is, they would say, pray until you pray. Does that make sense to you? I don't, that just clicks for me. I, first time I read that, I was like, that's what I need. That is helpful to me. How many times do I sit down to pray and, and it's just words in the air? It's, my heart is cold. Uh, I'm, I'm distracted. Uh, or it's just habit. Uh, and it feels like I'm just talking to the ceiling. And there's no shortcut. The only thing to be done is to pray until you pray. Put in the time with God, focused, dedicated, grit your teeth, stay in it until you come to a place of truly praying. I think that's why Jesus didn't just kind of slip out for a minute here or there, you know, like your coworkers that take smoke breaks. I'll just, I'll be right back. That wasn't Jesus' prayer time. No, he would, he would get up. Early in the morning, no one else is up. He would go off to some desolate place where no one else was, and he would invest time in prayer. D.A. Carson explains the, the, the Puritan's idea, this, this pray until you pray so well. He, he says this. What they mean is that Christians should pray long enough and honestly enough at a single session to get past the feeling of formalism and unreality that, that attends to not a little praying. We are especially prone to such feeling when we pray for only a few minutes, rushing to be done as if it were a mere duty. To enter the spirit of prayer, we must stick to it for a while. If we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence to rest in his love, to cherish his will. Even in dark or agonized prayer, we somehow know that we are doing business with God. That's where I want to be more. That's what I want more of. 
That's the kind of prayer that feels like finally breaking the surface and, and, and getting your head above water and being able to take a breath. That's the kind of prayer that, that energizes this new life in Christ that we so desperately need. How often do you take the time? How often do you, do you exert the energy needed to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil and pray until you pray? Now, this right here isn't the best context to do just that, but I do want to pause. I want to give you three minutes right here, right now in the middle of the sermon um, to, to just spend a minute with God. Come before the Lord, start that conversation with Him uh, about your, your, your prayer life, whatever that means for you. Maybe right now that just means you, you need to figure out this whole thing between you and God and your sin, and, and you need to talk to Him about it and forgiveness. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time and prayer has just been a struggle and a battle and, and, and you're just not getting anywhere. Talk to him about it. Ask the Lord for help. Ask him for, for strength in the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, maybe your prayer life is just roaring white hot and then just praise him for it. But I just want you to take just, just two minutes right now in prayer and, and then I'll come back up. Lord, we cry out with the disciples. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Father, we have tasted your goodness and it has made us thirsty for more. Lord, you know the hurdles in front of us. You know the weakness and the sin that is in us. The schemes of the devil that oppose us. But you are greater. 
You are worth it. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to, to press into those difficult moments until we come uh, to meet with you, until the, the barriers and the coldness and the hardness of our heart falls away, that we get to see you and be uh, with you. Lord, make us a people of intimate, passionate, persistent prayer. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. So we want to be persistent in prayer. And then Paul adds, be watchful in prayer. Be watchful. Look, look back at Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Now, the idea of watchful uh, is not a new concept in the New Testament at this point. Far from it. In fact, it was such a significant theme um, out of the mouth of Jesus in particular, the early church frequently named their kids this. It was like a whole generation um, that, that had kids. Uh, and, and the name that, that was so frequent, uh, this word is Gregoreo. We get our name Gregory. Um, and the root of it is very simple. It just means awake. Be awake. Pay attention. So be on guard. There's some key ways that, that Jesus uses this word, which make it so significant. But, but first, I think we just need to pay attention to the, the basic meaning of it. We take this word at, at face value, and, and it seems to me, sometimes the most basic one is the one we need. Stay awake. Right? Don't, don't nod off in prayer. But of course, we get it right away. There's something more than that. It's not just, it's not just don't fall asleep, but, but to have a, a spirit, a heart of prayer of watchfulness, of, of alertness in prayer. Some of you are hunters. You understand this concept of watchfulness very well because you see it every time you find a, a deer out in the field eating. Right? If there's one word to describe a deer out in a vulnerable place, it is watchful. Take a bite of grass and immediately the head's back up. Their eyes are scanning the tree line. Their ears are twitching back and forth looking for any movement, any, any sound that they might hear. They're, they're sniffing the scent on the wind. Snap of a smallest twig and that doe is stomping her foot, letting the, letting the fawns know, hey, pay attention. Something's up. If you are not silent and invisible in your stock, um, you're done. Deer's gone because they are watchful. They are on guard all the time. Why? Why are they so watchful? What makes them so good at it? Because they know their life's on the line. This is a life and death situation for them. If, if they are not constantly on watch, they'll end up on, on somebody's plate. The world is not a safe place for them. The cost of not being watchful is very real. It's right in front of them. And, and if not from the hunter, then from the wolf or the coyote or the cougar, uh, it's coming. Deer live in constant danger, and so they are constantly watchful. The reason we lack watchfulness in prayer is we are just way too comfortable. We've got it so easy, or so we think. And, and we live in, at peace. We have, a, we have our, our savings account. We have Health insurance, we're, we're Canadians. We've got health care. What, what do we need to be watchful for? Now, John Piper, uh, his gift for words, put it so well. We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. That's it. We are not at peace 
This is not, this is not peacetime. This is, this is war. We are in enemy territory as believers in this fallen world ruled by the, the prince of the power of the air. Do you realize it? This is not a, a stroll down the garden path. Maybe we could say the Christian life is like a, a walk in the beach. If that beach is Normandy, right? Like the bullets are flying. The world, the flesh, the devil are out to destroy us. People around us are taking mortal wounds from sin. Every day, people are dying and going to hell. I find it so jarring and sobering as a pastor, as, as men that I have watched and looked up to and counted as faithful, fall into sin, disqualify themselves from the ministry bringing reproach in the name of Christ. Some of them even walking to full apostasy, just leaving the faith. Men that I never would have expected. What do you do with that? How do you cope with that? More importantly, how do you make sure your name doesn't join the list alongside theirs? The spiritual life is war. Our enemy is real. Sin actually kills. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. And, and prayer is our lifeline. Be watchful in prayer. Not casual. Not drowsy. Not begrudging or tempted. Be or tepid. Be, be desperately watchful. That, that's the most basic meaning of the word. Be awake. Be on guard. But I think as Paul uses this language of watchfulness or being awake, I think he's drawing very intentionally from Jesus' words and expecting us to kind of make that, that connection. Um, Jesus had two consistent themes as he used this word. Um, first, there was watchful against sin. He talked about be on guard, be awake uh, against sin. So Luke 21, 34, 36, a great example of this. Watch yourselves. There's that word lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of life. And the day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So, so stay awake, be, be watchful. He even says stay awake at all times, praying that you might have strength to, to do battle in this spiritual war. Guarding against dissipation. That's, that's wild and, and worldly living. Guarding against drunkenness. Guarding against getting wrapped up in the, the cares of this world. Be watchful against these things. Be on guard. They're the enemy. Matthew 26 the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the, the night leading up to the betrayal of Jesus, the day before his crucifixion. And we find Jesus praying, and, he, and he, he comes out from his own prayers to find Peter, verse 40, and he says this. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be watchful. Be on guard and, and pray so that you don't fall to temptation. So you don't get hit by those fiery darts. 
So be watchful, being watched on guard against sin. But there's another element of this watchful language that Jesus uses. It, it, it showed up already in the passage from Luke. Um, most frequently, as Jesus talks about staying awake and being watchful, he's talking about the imminent second coming. Because Jesus is coming back. So be watchful for sin and be watchful because he's going to come back. He's going to return. So a couple examples of that, Matthew 24, 42. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Mark 13, 35, 37. Therefore stay awake. We do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Be on watch. Luke 12, 35, 36. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Now to be precise, and if you look at these carefully, he, he's not calling us to be watching necessarily for his coming, but to be watchful because his coming is at hand. Right? Be, be watchful against sin because the Lord is going to come back. Because he's coming and we, and we don't know when. So watch your life. Continue steadfastly in prayer because the Lord is at hand. Imagine you were a, a soldier defending a city under siege and you are surrounded and you are overwhelmed. I know half you have Lord of the Rings in your head right now. That's not wrong. Um, you're, you're outnumbered. Right? No food has come in for, for weeks. Arrows are flying over the wall. Um, the battering ram is pounding away at the door and it's starting to give way. You can't hold on much longer. But you know, there's a rescue coming. My king, with an unstoppable army, is just over the hill. He's on his way. I know he'll be here at any moment. So don't stop. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't roll over and give up and just look at the horizon. No, stay in the fight because it's going to soon end in victory. Be on guard. Be watchful. Be vigilant in prayer because the Lord is at hand and, and he will reward those who fight valiantly. So be persistent in prayer. Be watchful in prayer, watching against sin and, and watchful because the return of the Lord is hand. He's, he's coming back and he will be victorious. I just want to pause again there. We just take two minutes and this time I want you to join together with your husband or wife, whoever's sitting beside you, the friend that you came with. If, if you're by yourself, that's fine. If you can look ahead or behind and find someone else that's on their own, go ahead and pray with them. Um, but just two minutes to pray for watchfulness. Pray that we would be serious about this battle, that we would see the, the war that is going on around us and that that would drive us to our knees. Just, just two minutes to pray with one another. Go.
Father, we are so comfortable in this world, so casual about our sin, about the war that rages. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Give us eyes to see the battle around us, the danger of sin, the imminent return of Christ. Oh, Lord, that none here would be found asleep when he comes, that we would not be dozing off, that we would not be wrapped up in in lives surrounded and entangled by the cares of this world, but that we would be on guard and awake. Lord, make us watchful. Pray in Jesus' name. So be persistent, be watchful. Finally, Paul says, be thankful. Be thankful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is a, a constant theme that has been building through the book of Colossians. 1 verse 3, he says, um, whenever he prays for them, he's, he's giving thanks to God for them. One twelve, then, uh, he prays that they would give thanks to the Father who's qualified them to, to share in the inheritance of the saints. 2.7, uh, that, that rooted and, and built up in Christ, they should be abounding in thanksgiving. 3.17, which we have often looked over the past few weeks, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so it should be no surprise as we come down to verse uh, chapter 4, verse 2, that the overarching tone, the, the permeating spirit of, of our prayer ought to be thanksgiving. It, it seems a little bit counterintuitive, and we just finished talking about how this is, this is war, this is, a, this is a battle that takes sacrifice and, and, and steadfastness. Um, I thought we were in a fight for our lives like soldiers. Prayer is, is serious business, and it is, but it's also a joyful business. As much as we're to be serious about sin and, and honest about the, the, the trials and tribulations that, that, that face us on the earth, when when we come to the Lord in prayer, that ought to be a time of rejoicing. Yes, prayer is hard, and it requires discipline and, and diligence and, and sacrifice. And yet the, the content of our prayer is serious, and, and, and we should pray like our lives depend on it. But the outcome of our prayer is sure. We can pray with thanksgiving. But John, you don't know what's going on right now. Like things are really hard, like really hard. Like I'm in the middle of real life suffering. It's difficult. That might be true. Paul was in prison as he wrote this for his faith, not likely to be released. Overflowing with thankfulness. How? Why? Well, I think just to give us some categories, we can be thankful um, for our salvation, for what God has done, no matter what what is going on in this world or or our lives or or the world around us. um, We have been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness into the the kingdom uh, uh, of our God. 
forgiven of our sin, made children of God, as, as Kyle preached a couple weeks ago, made, made heirs together with Christ. We ought to be thankful for that. We can also be thankful not only for our, our salvation, which he has done, but for our, our sanctification, which he, which he is doing, even here and now. As we, we prayed this together on Wednesday night as we gathered here, um, the promises from, from Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So everything is working together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Um, What does that mean? Verse 29, for because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So if you, if you love the Lord, if you're one of his children, you can be confident. Everything happening to you, good, bad, fun, hard, failure, victory, you can rejoice in that with confidence that, that God is using and he is working it for your good because, verse 29, those whom God foreknew, his elect, his chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, he is also predestined, that is, ordered their every step through this world so that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the good that he's working for, our transformation, our sanctification. So our trials, our hardship, even the the fact that they drive us to our knees in prayer, the, the tears before the Lord, all of that is part of his plan that we would be shaped and formed and transformed into the image of Christ, fitted and formed for heaven, out of slavery of sin and into holiness. That's the, that's the good that he's working through every trial. And so we're thankful for what he has done in our salvation. We're thankful for what he, he is doing in our sanctification, and then also for what he will do in his second coming, because there's a better day ahead. Our watchfulness with with an eye toward his glorious return produces this this thankfulness. Now, we're kind of accustomed to giving thanks um, for things that we've already been given, things that have happened. Um, But this, by faith, is so sure and so complete and final a victory that, that we can give thanks for it before it's even come. That it's there on the horizon. Great example, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's he's looking forward. This hasn't happened yet. He says, then the the victory of of death will be taken away, the sting of death removed when that day comes, when Jesus returns. And he thanks God for it, looking forward. Jesus is coming. Our great rescue is on its way, and, 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 and he will set all things right and bring us into his Father's perfect kingdom. So regardless of what I face today, the threat of sin in me, the the suffering and pain around me, I have confidence in the grace of God purchased on the cross by the death of Christ. I have confidence in the the sovereignty of God working all things for my eternal good. And, And I have confidence in the victory of God. I know by faith he he is coming. And it will be the end of all fear and pain and doubt and sin. So how? How 
How could our prayers be anything less than saturated with joy? They may not begin with joy, but they, they ought to end that way. The great prayer warrior George Mueller made much of this, this joyful element in prayer. In his, in his autobiography, he wrote these words, The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to make my soul happy in the Lord. That's it. That's the great end of prayer. That we would drill down and press in to get my soul happy in the Lord. To see him for who he is. To be filled up in his presence. Pray until your soul is happy in the Lord. Because that, that joy, deeply rooted and, and overflowing in thanksgiving to the Lord, that is oxygen for the weary soul. That, that, is, that is the breath that we need. That's what transforms the, the duty of prayer into, into delight. It captures our, our hearts and, and, and reorders us, refocuses us back on him and, and breaks the power of sin and temptation. And it overflows from our hearts until everything we do, in word or in deed, is done in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to the Father through him. Church, let us continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's where we want to just sit this morning in thanksgiving uh, as we celebrate communion together. Josh, why don't you come? Think about it. As we partake of communion, we remember the goodness of God toward us, taking the, the penalty that we deserved his death for our life. We proclaim our ongoing dependence on him. Jesus, you are the, the food and drink that we need. You are my, my sustenance, my only hope for today, for my spiritual life. And we look forward, proclaiming his death until he comes. Looking forward to the, to, to the day that we will eat and drink with Jesus again in his Father's kingdom.